0: So this is the letter from the beloved disciple. My dear friends, you have asked me to tell you about the events in that week after Jesus arrived into Jerusalem with all the cheering crowds and the people praising him and the followers coming out to see him riding into the city. And then in only a week's time, he was arrested and condemned to death, and he was crucified and left on a lonely tall cross until he died out on the Golgotha Hill outside of town with a thief on either side of him also left to die. Yes, I was there. I was there through the whole thing. You know that no one loved him like I did. He called me beloved, and I did love him. You heard that when he spoke to me from the cross, he said, take my mother, be her son. And and I did. It was such an honor for me to be asked to take Jesus' mother into my home, and she will live with me all of the days ahead because she's a wise and faithful woman. I don't know how everything went awry that week, Some say Jesus knew that coming into the city of Jerusalem at festival time, that that would hold nothing good for him. Others say that he planned it that way, that he wanted to create a scene that would reveal all the corruption in the city and that would confront the authorities with the ways that they were just spitting on the people who were weak and sick and unable to take care of themselves. They were doing nothing for them. But we all knew that the Romans did not like it at the Jewish festival time when the crowds crowds would gather and people would pour into the streets and the marketplaces to get ready for the Passover meals. There were a lot of extra soldiers around that week. In the Jewish community most of the year, we tried to keep a low profile so the Romans would leave us alone. Even though we refused to worship their emperor, we did pay our taxes, and we did not make any trouble. But it wasn't that way with Jesus. Everywhere he went, people came out to see him. Huge crowds would always appear, and he would heal a person's pain, and the word would go out that there was a miracle worker in the town. So many people needed to be healed and came to be healed, Others came because they were curious about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. I can tell you, he definitely healed hearts and broken spirits. His words were so full of hope that they could bring a person truly back into their life. Just being in his presence you would feel his love and his compassion. He completely understood people's suffering. Is that a crime? Jesus spent that week teaching at the temple and healing the sick. And wherever he, oh, wherever he went, he attracted more people, all kinds of people, especially poor people, street people, homeless people, mentally ill people everyone that the empire could not stand. He loved them. He was just a poor carpenter, but people loved him. Some people even called him king. That made people in power really angry. Jesus was angry too. He hated how Jerusalem, that had once been a holy city, had become corrupt, and he hated all the greed, and he hated having the Roman military there all the time. And he wasn't really happy about how things were going in the temple either. He thought the temple was for worship and for study and for caring for people. Sometimes things were pretty tense that week. You could feel it building up. And there were rumors that some people thought Jesus was a troublemaker and that something could happen to him to make him go away, that he could get arrested or even worse. And that is what happened. Jesus asked us, the disciples to prepare a Passover meal for that Thursday night together, just for the 12 of us in Him. We were looking forward to it. But now, looking back on that meal, it's clear He was preparing us for how to remember Him after He was gone. He took some bread and He held it and He blessed it. And then He broke it and He said, This is my body broken for you. Take and eat, and do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup of wine, and he said, This is my blood. This is my blood, which is shed for the many. And then he said, And tonight, one of you is going to betray me. And he looked right at one of the disciples, right at Judas Iscariot. After our meal, we went out to pray at the garden in Gethsemane, where we often went. Actually, most of us were full from our meal and really not ready to pray, but he asked us to come and stay awake with him. So we did, some of us went along. And while we were there, Roman soldiers came and they arrested him and they took him away. We never really learned what crime they found him guilty of, but early that Friday morning, Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor, and Herod, the ruler of Galilee, which was Jesus' homeland, allowed him to be taken away to die on a cross, just like a common criminal. Most of the disciples, after they heard this, ran away in fear when they learned about it. But I went, and I stood with Jesus' mother and her sister and Mary Magdalene, and we stayed with him at the foot of the cross. It was a hard death. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they put a sign that said King of the Jews over him and then mocked him and said, if you are the king, the son of God, save yourself now. Jesus died, but we couldn't bury him immediately because it was now the Sabbath and a day of rest. So a follower offered an empty tomb to put his body in and we rolled a stone in front of it so he wouldn't be bothered until we could come back to prepare his body for burial. And then when we came back, it was gone. It was gone. Some people believe that he was risen, he was raised by God, and that one day he would return to create a new kingdom Jesus used to talk to us all the time about going and coming back new and that there was going to be this new kingdom. And frankly, most of us just had so many questions. We didn't get it. We didn't understand it. And others people said, no, that Jesus was a great prophet and a teacher and that he would live on in the hearts and the minds of people who heard about his teachings, and that's how we become new. But I always remember that he sat us down during that last week He tried to explain again about this coming of a new kingdom, a beloved community, and when he talked about it, he said, Look, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was a prisoner, and you came to visit me. We said, no, we didn't, Master, we never did any of those things. And he said, just as you do it to the least of these, to anyone who is a member of our great family, you do it to me. I think Jesus had a vision of a new world that was loving and healing and just for everyone. And he was trying to tell us that we each need to help build that new world every day, one act of caring at a time, all over the world, all of the time. So friends, remember Jesus and carry on his ministry. Your friend, the beloved disciple.
1: Francis mentioned a little while ago that the prophet and teacher... Jesus had many wonderful and challenging things to say to us, and that we are called this Easter Sunday to remember what those things were, to remember how he became so dangerous to those in power that they felt they needed to kill him. And yet even killing him did not silence those messages, and so we would like to share some of them with you. Some of you in your orders of service have a slip of paper And on those slips of paper are some of the many teachings of Jesus. Some of the ones that historians and scholars can be pretty sure that he actually said in his day. If you have one of those slips of paper, I invite you to rise in body or spirit, and Marion will get you a microphone, and we invite you to read it. Therefore, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble.
2: Blessed are you who are hungry now. Your hunger will be satisfied.
1: If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your coat, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What I tell you in the dark, declare in the light. What you hear whispered, announce from the rooftops.
2: Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted.
1: For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. But many that are first will be last and the last first.
2: Treat others the way you would like them to treat you. If someone wrongs you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I am sorry, you must forgive. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. A man was expecting guests. When the dinner was prepared, he sent his slave to call them. The slave went to each of them and each begged to be excused because they were busy. The slave went back and said to his master, The people whom you invited to dinner have asked to be excused. The master said to the slave, Go out to the street and bring back whoever you find to have dinner.
3: If your, son, <clears throat> if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, who among you would give him a stone? Or for a fish, would you give him a snake? Or if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God give good gifts to those who ask?
2: No one lights a lamp and then puts it in a cellar or under a bushel. It goes on a stand so that those who come in may see the light.
3: You cannot serve both God and money.
2: If you have money, don't lend it at interest. Give it to someone who won't be able to return it.
1: some of the many teachings of Jesus that we are called to remember today. So I'm mean going to invite the children forward one more time because I have a little show and tell in this conversation. So if any of the children want to come forward, um, I, I have some friends I brought to worship today. And my friends live in these little, these little uh, plastic things for now. Do you know what that is? Who can, who can tell me what these are? These are caterpillars. Yeah, and you can pass those around. Each one of these little things has caterpillars in them. Hmm? What's the other stuff in there? Well, the brown stuff at the bottom is food that the caterpillars eat. And those threads, those threads that are in there, those are, it's called silk. And the caterpillar makes that, kind of like a spider makes a spider web. Because the caterpillar spins that silk and then crawls up that silk. And what happens when the caterpillar crawls up that silk? Who can tell me what happens? Yeah, the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. So, first, what happens is see the caterpillars, they hang. You can see the caterpillars hanging here, right? Look at the, can you all see the caterpillars hanging? And they, And and the caterpillars spin up that silk and then they hang from it. And then they become something called a chrysalis. It's a hard kind of shell that they make around themselves. And inside that chrysalis, inside that chrysalis, the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And then it breaks out of that chrysalis and stretches its wings and flies away. And so these caterpillars... These caterpillars when I got them in the mail, and believe me, I got them in the mail, <laughs> these caterpillars were really, really tiny. They were, they were really, really small, and they have been eating this food all week and growing and growing and growing and getting bigger and bigger. And pretty soon, in fact, these ones here that are hanging, they'll probably be chrysalises in the next day or two, and they'll be butterflies There'll be butterflies in about two weeks. And so about two weeks from today, perfect for Mother's Day, there are going to be butterflies that are living in this house. This is a butterfly house. They call it the Butterfly Pavilion. I think that's very, a very swank name for the place where butterflies live. And so I'm going to invite all of you to come back, and we're going to set the butterflies free out in the garden when they're all done. But I want to tell you a quick story, a story about my friend Lynn. My friend Lynn is a minister now, but but a couple years ago, she was trying to decide whether she really wanted to be a minister or not. And she was a preschool teacher at the time. And every year in her preschool, she used to order butterflies in the mail. She used to order caterpillars, and and they would turn into butterflies in her classroom. And you notice that they spin their silk, and they climb up, and they have to hang. Well... For a while, the the caterpillars, they spin their silk and sometimes they climb up the silk and then they climb back down the silk and they eat some more. And then they climb up the silk and they climb back down the silk and they eat some more. And hopefully one day, they climb up the silk, and they hold on, and they hang off of it. Because that's the only way they can turn into a butterfly, is to hold on to the silk with their mouths and throw their bodies off of it and hang off of it. And they hang there to become a chrysalis. Well, this, she had a bunch of caterpillars just like this. And all of them had become chrysalises, and they were on their way to becoming butterflies. But there was one caterpillar, one litter caterpillar that she would watch every day with her students in the class, and it would climb up the silk and it'd look around, and it'd climb back down the silk and eat some more. And it would climb up the silk, and it'd look around, and it would climb back down the silk and eat some more. And what do you think happened to that that caterpillar? It didn't turn into a butterfly because it never went up the silk and hung there. And what do you think happens to caterpillars that don't turn into butterflies? It's sad. sad. It's a sad story. I didn't say it was a happy story. Caterpillars that don't turn into butterflies dry up and become dead caterpillars. And there's really nothing sadder than a dead caterpillar. (laughs) Really nothing, nothing at all sadder than a dead caterpillar. Because that caterpillar could have been a butterfly if only it had got to the top of the silk and decided that it was time to change. But it didn't. It decided it wanted to eat some more. So it crawled back down and ate some more again and again. And it became a dead caterpillar. And so the people in Lynn's class were really sad. All the kids in the class were really sad. They had 30 butterflies. 30 caterpillars all turned into butterflies. They had 30 butterflies, but they were really sad because there was one dead caterpillar. And I want you to remember that story when we talk a little bit about changing. Okay? So you can go back to your, to your seats. I just wanted to meet, introduce you to my friends, the caterpillars. And they are going to be my friends, the butterflies, in a couple weeks. So I'm going to make this brief. The take-home message today is that we don't have a choice but to change. We do, however, have a choice how we change. Some choice, at least. Okay, that's it. We can know. Caterpillars must change into butterflies, otherwise they die. Similarly, we must change into something new as well. My favorite theologians, the process theologians, teach us that all beings on the planet, all beings in our universe, are constantly in the process of becoming something new. Every new thing we learn, every new person we meet, every new experience we have— makes us into something else. And so the only way that we can possibly stay the same is to shut ourselves off from the world, move into a cave, and not experience anything at all. So if we are really committed to community, if we are really part of a community, if we are out in the world meeting new people, experiencing new things, learning new things, having conversations, becoming part of one another's lives, then then we're changing. We're changing whether we want to or not. The prophet and teacher, Jesus, preached 2,000 years ago a radical message of equality, love, and justice. He did that. He taught that message in an era that was not ready to hear it. Jesus undermined the social status of his day in such a way that the rulers of his day Knew that he was dangerous. He called upon people to practice nonviolence, to suspend their judgment of others. He asked people to give up their own wealth and their own status in order to help other people. And that was really radical. It was radical then, 2,000 years ago. It's radical now, in 2011. It's radical to ask someone to give up privilege that they have in order to make somebody else's life better. And lots of people listened to him. People gathered in crowds wherever he went to listen to him. And that's what he said again and again. He called people to live in a different way, to, to, to do things that would make the society better. And he became dangerous to the rulers, to the kings in power, to the governors, because those kings that were in power... Those kings knew that if enough people were following what Jesus said, that soon they were not going to be in power anymore because those people would make them give up the power and the money that they had in order to help people too. And so those kings, those rulers, those governors, those rulers said, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to kill this guy because it's the only way that we're going to stop him from teaching these things. And so they did. They took him and, and they killed him. And that was sad All the people that he taught, those people that listened to his message, they were all sad. They were sad for a couple days. And then they said, you know, just because he's dead doesn't mean that we can't still teach other people the messages that he was teaching us. Just because he's dead doesn't mean that those messages still aren't what our society needs to hear. And so his followers wrote a story about him a story that was so powerful that they transformed Jesus' teachings from those of a human prophet, from those of a rabbi who wandered barefoot through the desert to teach whoever would listen. They transformed the messages from those of a human to those of God through the story of the resurrection that is celebrated by Christians on Easter Sunday. Jesus, in that story, went from being a human leader whose followers could be scared and sad by his death to being a messenger from God whose followers were inspired by his death to keep his message alive. Unfortunately, in this day, that radical message has been lost by many, even many, who would consider themselves followers of Jesus. And so today we are called to remember those teachings. Jesus asked his followers to change themselves, and then to use that change to change the world. Much A much shorter time ago, a man named Mahatma Gandhi famously said in India, he said, be the change you want to see in the world. And that was very much like the message of Jesus, who came almost 2,000 years before him. Jesus asked us to be humble he asked us to seek peace he asked us to give up judging others to recognize our own flaws when we saw the flaws in others he told us to ask questions to always be curious about the world around us to always be curious about other people to always be curious about what other people would teach us he asked us to have compassion And then he also challenged us. He challenged us to practice the art of radical hospitality, the art of welcoming everyone into our lives, into our homes, into our holy places. I was reminded this Thursday at our fellowship's Passover Seder that he got that teaching from the Jewish tradition. His last supper was a Passover Seder, And it is the Jewish tradition to always invite anyone who might want to be at a Seder into your home at Passover. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they come from in life. It doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter how long you've known them for. If you think they would like to be at a Seder and they don't have a place to be, it is the custom to bring them into your home. And Jesus taught that, and that was really scary to those people who depended on some people being poor and outcast and other people having all the money. Jesus challenged us to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, to clothe the naked. He challenged us to know what it means to forgive another, no matter how badly they might have hurt us. However horrible their sin against us or the world might be, he asked us to see what it would be like to try to forgive them. He challenged us to stop seeing any other human being, no matter who they were or where they were from, as our enemy, and thus to help create a world in which the whole human family is as one. He challenged us to change the world by changing ourselves first. And so this Easter, I invite us all to choose to change the world for the better. I invite us all to reflect for a while on those simple directions left behind by a man, by a great teacher who taught some 2,000 years ago, but whose death was not the end of his message. Donna and Francis to come up. We each have the power to change, to change ourselves and to change the world.
0: We each have the power to create beauty where there is now plainness.
2: We each have the power to create love where there is now hatred and indifference.
1: Two thousand years ago the prophet and teacher Jesus tried to change his world He tried
0: to bring fairness and equality to a world where many people were treated badly.
2: He tried to bring forgiveness and peace to a world filled with violence and war.
1: He tried to bring humility to those who were too proud and pride to those who were too humble.
0: He tried to bring justice and mercy to those who were oppressed and enslaved.
1: Thankfully, his
2: message of hope and, for, and transformation did not die with him. It was given new life by his disciples after those in power took his life from him.
0: His message is now a challenge to us all. We each have the power to make some of what Jesus stood for come true in our own lives.
1: We invite each of you now to take a moment to think about one way, just one, in which you can live up to just one of Jesus' many instructions to us, one way in which you might change yourself and thus change the world for the better.
2: When you think of something, we invite you to write it down. We're going to pass out butterflies and pencils, or I'm going to invite the children up to help us pass those out. So when you do that, anytime during the time the music is playing, we invite you to take your butterfly, peel off the backing on the double-sided tape, and stick it to one of the colorful ribbons on the sides of the sanctuary.
0: And then we invite you to come up after the service is over and read what's been written on the butterflies. We'll be creating artwork with the butterflies in the week ahead. And you might want to see them in this new way for yourselves while they're still available here in worship.
1: Like real butterflies, may our actions make the world more beautiful. May they bring change wherever it is needed. May they help make a real world of justice May they help make real a world of justice, equality, fairness, mercy, and peace. Donna's going to need some help passing out these butterflies. So anyone who needs to move a little bit, if you could come up and take some butterflies and some pencils and make sure that everyone in the room has a butterfly and that everyone has a pencil or a pencil to share with someone else. We could use some more helpers. So we're going to play some music now, and as that music plays, I invite you to think about one way that you can change yourself by following the teachings of Jesus and in that way change the world. And when you've written it on your butterfly, I invite you to stick it to one of our ribbons. Please share your transformations with us.
3: Have you ever told a caterpillar That one day it would fly? She would roll upon the ground and laugh You're joking, so that I I have no wings upon my roly-poly skin How can I learn to fly With no wings to fly? I to sister caterpillar soon a time will come When the roly-poly skin you carry No longer feels like home We'll build a new home And following God's design Will emerge one day a butterfly With beautiful wings to fly She said, I don't believe you, sir, but I'll put you to the test I've been feeling awfully tired, and I think it's time to rest A voice inside my head says to build a set cocoon So I'll trust the voice of God, and no change is coming soon She built a silken chrysalis upon a broad green leaf And for four and twenty days she fell into a slumber deep And when she did awake, she said with much surprise I will emerge a butterfly with beautiful wings to fly The dark cocoon, a longing to be free She dreamed about her crawling days The way things used to be She cried nostalgic tears For the life she'd left behind She cried for the mystery About the world outside if i could just unfurl these wings then i would surely fly there's a new life waiting for me in the trees and in the sky she called upon her courage her knowing and her faith. she opened up her wings and the cocoon began to break She looked around with brand new eyes at a world so crisp and new. She opened up her wings to dry and gave a flap or two. She's soaring now in blue sky, grateful to be free. Grateful to the source of all and for the life that's yet.
1: You're still writing and sticking. You can come up during our offering, but it has come time to collect our offering. The offering collected each Sunday uncovers the abundance in our lives that is already here. It follows another one of Jesus's teachings to share the abundance in our lives.